G'day everybody and welcome to another bloody movie podcast presents Film Fiasco. I am Sean Coates and we have a, an absolute stinker of a film to get into today. I am joined here by um, everyone's favourite film snob, Eric Tischer. Yep. And first time guest, um, writer for MakeTheSwitch.com and uh, self, self-appointed self queen of film Twitter. <laughs> Apparently. Yep, Ashley Matthews. Hi, how are you going? Yeah, um, not too good because we had to wa- watch this movie again. I mean, yeah, it's awful. I mean, why do people like this movie? I mean, we're going to get into it, but why? <laughs> Eric wasn't too, like... I thought uh, it was all right. <laughs> and what, what movie did we watch, Eric? Well, apparently we watched The Greatest Showman. Wait, what do you mean by apparently? Oh, I mean, we you did. You mean suffered? Appa- uh, I didn't suffer. It. I mean, it was close, close enough to the greatest show being the greatest show. I guess didn't quite uh, hit the mark. I think it completely missed the mark. And <laughs> I thought when you were saying we watched this, apparently you're saying this is apparently a film, like because this is trying parading and masquerading itself as a film. When oh, no, it could have worked better as a stage play. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of performance and uh, not much to do with like narrative. I'd say a very showy film that didn't seem to care much about any other aspects than the presentation absolutely not on that note i actually think it is being turned into a broadway musical i wouldn't be surprised yeah i probably should fare a bit better i think that's kind of by design like they make these so they so that they become broadway so that they have you know they don't like get forgotten about almost immediately and that they have a life after the film yeah well i guess that's what all those pop covers as well were with the soundtrack that came out that floods my radio at work yep and uh, yeah if anyone who works in retail you know what i'm talking about and it makes you want to you know rip your ears off <laughs> it's just it's awful and yes the film is the greatest showman from 2017 directed by a fella by the name of michael gracie an Australian, actually, and for the longest time, I thought was just a pseudonym for Hugh Jackman, because <laughs> he he was so adamant about this film. Apparently, he read three books on P.T. Barnum. It must have been yeah, it must have been one of those ones like how some schools in the South are have have those history books that just kind of gloss over the whole slavery thing. Yeah, yeah, but I really don't think that you know all the research that he did really did enough it's actually you know what i was thinking about on the way here and it's almost like a perfect film because it's a terrible film about a terrible person that's something that we can probably get into later but in terms of that it's i guess it's kind of fitting back on michael gracie though like his background like eric was telling me the other day like he thought this guy may have had a background in like theater Mm. or like in stage productions Mm. and things like that turns out he has a background in both visual effects and commercials and his most noted work to date, before The Greatest Showman, obviously, and he, this man was considered for the uh, Rocketman film, with, and oh thank no. God he's not doing it. I would have liked to see his Rocketman film. <laughs> yeah, but they got the guy that saved Bohemian Rhapsody to do it. Picked technically. up the scraps of Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody. I mean, I, I still haven't seen it and probably won't, but yikes. Mm. <laughs> <I> <laughs> Sorry, mean. I just had a, like a war flashback mm. to seeing that film. <laughs> but the... Most noted work before The Greatest Showman that Michael Gracie did and ties with Hugh Jackman is that Lipton Ice Tea commercial where Hugh Jackman is dancing around Japan. Oh, my God. Yep. Really? Yep. And I read an interview, I think, with the Daily Telegraph with Michael Gracie saying that he basically got hired because, like, they, they thought because he was Australian he knew Hugh Jackman <laughs> and that he'd worked with him previously and just turns out that it did. Oh, my God. He's also noted for making a really 
terrifying Super Bowl commercial for Evian where it was those CGI babies on roller skates. I don't know if anyone's seen that, but that's the stuff of nightmares. Well, that no, amazing. I think it sounds good that I missed that. I'm just saying, like, extravagant musical numbers with Hugh Jackman and bad CGI. Like, I mean, it was inevitable this guy was going to make The Greatest Showman, I guess. I'm not surprised that Hugh Jackman was so enthused with the project because didn't he start off in Broadway? He probably wanted to sort of do something that was similar to, you know, where he made his name. Like, he was the Oklahoma kid. He did that, like, television, film and stage mm. play and, and The Boy stuff From like Oz, that. too, yeah. yeah. Yeah, The Boy From Oz. And he was in that Pan movie, correct? That oh, yeah. He was yeah. just probably dying for for another musical. Th- that pan yeah. movie. Just playing Wolverine for so long. That pan bored. movie set in the early 1900s, but the pirates are singing Nirvana songs. Yeah. Yep. It clearly wasn't satisfied. Satisfying yeah. enough. I mean, this movie is kind of similar in that way with the music. And we can just start off with, even from the first frames of this film, like the 20th Century Fox logo, it starts out like with the old like 60s and fi- old 50s and 60s logo. Mm. And then that slowly fades out and the fanfare fades out. And then th- it just cuts, like, smash cuts into the new 20th Century Fox logo. And it's, like, screaming at you. Like, it's this, whoa, just like, screaming at you because it's a song. And it's just, like, you immediately know what you're getting as soon as, you, as, soon as that happens. And That's a good thing, isn't it? No. It's not trying to mask <laughs> itself as being something else. I mean, wouldn't it be worse if this film was, like, Try to mark itself as oh this is a very this is going to be a very realistic portrayal a historical portrayal of P.T. Barnum's I don't think anyone on the making of that film gave a shit about uh, a realistic portrayal of P.T. Barnum's it's a guy that directs commercials well, exactly he does, he, he's so, all show and no story so wouldn't you be more annoyed if he tried to do something that he couldn't do I'd want him to at least try I, I would say that he tried it this is a this is a much better effort than the Lipton ad. <laughs> so I, mean I guess he's, he's he got had that a pretty much for bigger him. budget as well. Yeah, this is bigger 84 budget. Million? 84 million. 84 million, yeah. Just grab oh, wads of cash and flush I want to know where that went, though, because I don't Hugh see Jackman. it going towards Hugh the CGI Jackman. at all. Yeah, I was no. going to comment, like, considering this guy has a background in special effects, the special effects didn't look too good. They, they, got, <laughs> yeah, they no. definitely got Michael Gracie on the cheap in this film. <laughs> yeah. I think they told him to only to, to prioritise... The special effects the least. <laughs> Put all the money towards Hugh Jackman and maybe performers or whatever. Where else? Or maybe just rewrites and rewrites of a terrible play. <laughs> Throwing money I mean, at writers the writers get a fair bit of money. Yeah. I mean, like, the guys at the helm of these lyrics wrote for La La Land yeah. as well, which, if anyone knows me, knows it's yeah. like... Yeah, Ash- for that film. Ashley is ABMP's resident La La Land expert, by the way. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's just, it's almost like borderline insulting. Like if you compare like the beauty of those songs, you know, even if they're not accessible to like the general public or to be played on the radio, you compare mm. that to The Greatest Showman, and it just like it's insulting. But the songs honest. in La La Land actually suit the the tone and the mood that they're going for. They're yeah. going for this old Hollywood kind of like you know, approach and aesthetic and style and that mm. it reflects that in the music. But here it's just, yeah, to play songs on the radio and get like more airtime. Yeah. And that's one of my like major gripes with the film, but I guess we'll probably get into that once we start mm. discussing the actual songs. Well, we can even just get into it here because like, because the songs in this movie, we can all agree, are just way, way too modern. And did you hear that Benj, pa- did you hear Benj Pasek try to justify that? 
I haven't actually. Do you have to, to quote Benj Pasic, the choice to express to, to the choice to make modern songs was to not to, to express not just the characters' feelings, but also how ahead of his time P.T. Barnum was. He wasn't bound by the world he lived in. He wanted to create his own. Oh, I Bullshit. Mean, he might have been ahead of his time in the way of exploiting people and sort of masquerading that. So maybe if he was talking about that aspect of P.T. Barnum. He's not. <laughs> I know he's <laughs> not. <laughs> if it was a film about P.T. Barnum being a con man, maybe, but this is a film about him being the saviour to yeah. all of these people, so it's really not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so then we get into, after we get screamed at by the 20th Century Fox logo, which is in sepia tone, by the way, just to make this even more cheap and tacky and try to get that old-timey feel, I guess, we get the first musical number, which I believe is The Greatest Show, that's correct. And this isn't too bad, but... Yeah, no, it's actually a, an enjoyable song. It's funny, actually, when that cover album came out, Panic! at the Disco were listed Ugh. to be... Don't. Don't. <laughs> I actually saw that and I was dreading it because I was like, damn, I am going to have to listen to this because now. Because their Bohemian Rhapsody cover was so good, wasn't it? No, but if I see their name, I'm more inclined to give something a shot. So I actually did listen to the song and I will say of the songs from this film they got covered it is the best one by far and it's not a bad way to start the film off i agree i mean it's you know sort of just showing like what what will uh come later on the sh in the film in terms of like performance and stuff like that because it does that whole like you know ending at the beginning type of deal because i'm pretty sure they close it with them doing that performance yeah, yeah, yeah they're something surprised yeah. at the end too but even then like it's not even long enough to appreciate it because it slowly like fades out and then we go into uh, young oh Phineas Taylor Barnum who's played by some nothing kid and he's like the son of a tailor or something. He's a little peasant no, boy. I think was it a tailor? I thought he was a, like a shoe. Like a sh he's a cobbler yeah, or a cobbler tailor or of sorts. But anyway, he goes to this like... Or is he Hatter or something? Or why does he go to... I don't to think it matters. The why does he go to this... Like a couple of minutes later. He goes to this old guy's house where he sees a young girl who later grows up to be Michelle Williams and she's drinking soup or something. She's and learning how to drink tea she, properly, Yeah, she's like... Yeah, yeah like, like table etiquette or something. And then P.T. Barnum... Like little P.T. Barnum is... He, attaps, uh, he attaches like a little bowl to a stick and pretends that he's like mimicking what she's doing. And this, the father of the g daughter notices and <laughs> uh, slaps him immediately. So we get child abuse in the first five minutes of this film. Yeah, and I love how so lighthearted this film is as well. And then just all of a sudden something like that happens. Like, oh, in you know. In the first five minutes too. I mean, appropriate for Barnum too, but uh, mm. uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, was a, it is quite different compared to everything else you see later on in the film. It's so happy all the time. Yeah. And then you just, just get opens this with this slap in the face. Then you just, I mean, yeah, again, and appropriate for this film. <laughs> <laughs> what, like how you felt. Me at myself yeah. watching this film. So then uh, he's sobbing at the beach or something and little Michelle Williams, I can't remember. I think her character's name is Charity. It is Charity, think, yes, oh. correct. That's a, that's a very on the nose name, I guess. Well, I, it's, I wish, I'm guessing she's a real person, so. Oh, yeah, they would have mm. had names like that. I mean, but again, I wouldn't be surprised if they changed the names here. We could easily look this up, but who yeah, cares? I'm pulling this podcast. up right now just to see. But like, so P.T. Barnum's mopey on the beach and I don't know, these two have a scene that just, I mean, the scenes in this film go nowhere, do nothing and only exist to get to the next song, mm. which yeah. is where we're at now, which is 
I think possibly the worst of the songs in oh this, which God, is A yeah. Million Dreams. And this is the one that just goes on and on and on. Yeah, after I think it was about the 15-minute mark that I first checked this film, I'm like, I'm going to die here. No, I'm not even kidding you. By the time their children reprise this song again, I'm like, I don't oh. know how much more of this I can take. Oh, and also in this song, it is so obvious that this little boy cannot sing and that he's being dubbed. Mm. 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 Bit of that. Because any, any, like, even the good, mu- good musicals, you can actually see them singing for, like, the majority of the time. In here, it's just kind of overlaid with them doing other shit. Yeah, but that's because every song is made to feel like a music video. Telling a coherent story is not its first priority. So not at all. why do you need to show a character lip-syncing a song that they're obviously not singing? Also, I want to point out during this scene, there is another instance of child abuse. He is um, running, like he steals like a loaf of bread. Oh, yeah. Oh, his because dad passes his away. father dies yeah. and he's on the streets and he becomes like Aladdin for 30 seconds and steals a loaf of bread. Yeah, and like there's this beautiful, like hopeful, like half happy sounding song as this kid is being like beaten up by this dude in an alleyway like but it's okay because he's looking for dreams it's fine mm. Mm. yeah the music i remember t- that he got the bread stolen from him i don't know if he yeah got beaten up. and Do then you not remember that i can barely remember the movie <laughs> i saw it like two days ago but then it's after that after like this after like this he steals this bread and like someone else like i think steals it from him or the shop owner yeah. like catches up to him we get this uh child with a deformed face that hands him an apple yeah. And is this meant to be the basis for, like, his entire, like, ideology of doing this freak show going forward? Because if so, no. that is no. so flimsy. Yeah, one person was nice to me one time. Just, no, no. Well, you, you never really, s- they never sort of reincorporate that. He never gives mention about it's the kind deed. It sort of, it happens. As you mm. said, it's just a scene that happens. And then later on, it's just like, Oh, you know, I bought this this auditorium. What can make a lot of money? Oh, a circus. I'll get a bunch of freaks yeah. because people like looking at freaks, pretty much. It was was which is what I think the film counterpart would have been thinking, as well as the real life man. Mm. I don't mm. think he w- was thinking like I'm doing them a nice favor because he doesn't treat them too no, well. It was pure like exploitation. Like, have yeah. you read a few of the things that he used to do? Mm. Yeah, one, one, of his, one of his first acts was literally an elderly black woman that he put in a cage. Yeah. Yeah, and then when she passed away, like, people watched her autopsy as well. Yeah, it's... Mm. They mm. find that she died from starvation, I'm assuming. And she actually was... He was saying that she was, like, 160 years old when it turns out that she was half that. But, mm. you know, The Greatest Showman is a happy film, so let's forget about mm. all that. Yeah, hey, don't just, you know, listen to this happy song. We're, we're following our dreams. It's teaching us a million, all million of them. Of, oh, God. Of uh, just covering up history and just making it seem a lot nicer so we don't have to remember such terrible things happening in the but past. But I mean, isn't that what Hollywood is good at, sugarcoating yeah. history? Yep. <laughs> just, but why do it for P.T. Barnum of all people? Exactly. Know, very of strange. all people. I mean, I've described, as soon as I first saw this movie, I've described it as this, and Eric knows exactly what I'm about to say. <laughs> this is kind of like the American Sniper of musicals. Oh my God. <laughs> I think, did you not write that on like a review somewhere? I think I did, I genuinely yeah. have read that before. I'm like, oh God, yeah. Because, yeah, it's just glorifying a person that's kind of unanimously agreed to be a piece of shit. Yeah. So, like, do the, does the Barnum estate have that much power? Do they have, like, some 20th Century Fox executive's niece held Maybe. hostage somewhere? Like, what the hell? Well, yeah, that would make sense in my mind because uh, 
like I, I wouldn't expect a lot of people from now to remember or know much about P.T. Barnum, to be honest. I thought that he would have sort of faded yeah, off into obscurity. Away in, like the sands of time. Yeah, yeah, well, hasn't like the entire company like dissolved? I think it dissolved now? like six months before this film came out. Yeah. Yeah, and also I want to say this film came out in Australia, Boxing Day 2017. This played at my local cinema until like mid-May. And I could not believe it. Like, this is apparently, like, one of those films where, like... And I guess this happens with a lot of musical films, but people just keep going back to see it. Yeah. Why? Because there's sing-along versions. Oh. <laughs> it's the music, Sean. They, they want to see the music. They want to see the music. People... There's this... A thing called Spotify exists, by the yeah, way. Yeah, but it's not the same as, like, you know, singing it with a bunch of people that you don't know in a dark room. Hmm. That's why Bohemian Rhapsody is getting sing-alongs as well. Don't remind me. But even through, because, like, this movie is just trying to get through as much plot as the quickest time possible, you know, just to get to the next song, or to get to the next song number. But this one does it during the song number. So this movie is, like, you know, like, truly revolutionary, as Eric would probably agree with me. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, I couldn't, the transition in the songs was seamless to the point where I thought the same song was playing for 20 minutes. But then we, we, we see Michelle Williams' character, like, get sent off to boarding school and they're both really sad and, like, writing letters and they're still singing songs about their dreams or whatever horse shit. But then we get to, like, grown-up Hugh Jackman, like, going up to the door of... This, <laughs> this is unbelievable. He goes up to the door of, of the father and's like, oh, hey, Mr. McGillicuddy, I want to take your daughter's hand in marriage. <laughs> and it's like, this is 50-year-old Hugh Jackman doing this, and they don't even attempt to make him look younger than he is. Like, and I, I Googled it. The actor playing the father of Michelle Williams is only 10 years older than Hugh Jackman. Get out. No, they use all the CG. Yeah, they use all that CGI to. I think they did digitally de age him or something to make him look slightly less wrinkled. I could be hallucinating. Are you serious? I think they might. I think they might have. Do I need to go back and like look at this frame again? Well, it was strange because when I was watching with my mate, we saw Hugh Jackman pop up. We're like, holy shit! They try to make him look younger, and I was just like, what's like, what's the age gap between Jackman and Williams? Um, Williams is 38 and Jackman is 50. Are you yeah. serious? Because she nuts. looked a lot younger than, well, well, she's younger than Jackman, but like they seem to go through the effort to sort of make him look not like a fifth, like a middle-aged man. Which I is don't really buy it strange. though, no one buys it. Oh, no one no. buys it because they know that Hugh Jackman's not a, like, <laughs> he's not a young man. So when they see him like as this kid and then they see him as this, this middle-aged man, you're probably thinking that he just aged terribly. So then these two, like, move into each other and we get another kind of good moment in this musical sequence, this rooftop dance with the sheets. Like, this is... If, if it wasn't part of this musical number, I think this would be good. Like, this is kind of like that kind of old Hollywood stuff. There's, like, a big matte painting of the moon behind it. It's, like, purposefully and, like, you know, like, cheap and, like, kind of looks a little bit art- artificial. Like, not yeah. as artificial as the rest of the film, but... <laughs> <laughs> it is semi-cute, but I think it, th- it was at this point in the film I was like, okay... Okay, I'm going to buckle myself in here. I don't know what it was about that particular scene. I think maybe because the lip-syncing just got really to me in that point. I don't even think... If you, like, freeze-framed it, I don't think at any one point you could see these people's, like, mouths moving at all. Absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't buy for one second that that's them dancing either. I may as well just be watching a music video. Yeah, I mean, they do cut... They do go from close-ups to wide, so it would be easy to sort of switch out 
from uh, the actors to the um, the doubles, the performance doubles. Yeah, I honestly feel like apart from the fact that most of the actors actually did their own singing, mm. the actors in this film put in as little effort as possible. Everything else was just added in post. I think they they all kind of had an awareness of how little to care though. Like, well, I don't think Hugh Jackman didn't mm. know. No, care that except little. for Hugh Jackman. Yeah, Jack- Jackman's probably really just. Tickling his ego making this film, you know. That's what I'm thinking. He seemed to clearly put the most effort into it. Well, you know what? If anyone goes and sees Hugh Jackman on his singing tour that he's about to embark on, you can see, like, the look on his face when he sings all his greatest showman songs. It's like, that's why he did this. He wants to get here. Doesn't matter how, but he got here. He was trying to get it made for seven years, apparently. Let's hope it's good. There's a point where you just got to give up. Well, it didn't... Um, Ryan Reynolds do that with Deadpool and that turned out pretty well. Mm. So, better than this, better than this. Leaps and bounds. (laughs) Leaps and bounds. So, this song number uh, ends and then we see uh, Married Life with Children with um, Michelle Williams. Two of the worst child actors ever. these kids are terrible. Do these kids have any line in this film apart from Daddy? Because I don't remember them saying anything else in this film at all. One of them was uh, like a ballet dancer. I think one of them said something about not wanting to pursue being... One of them wishes that they could marry Santa Claus. Really? Oh, they want ballet slippers, there yeah. There was something about ballet. I can't remember exactly what happened, but it was like... Oh, it was we, like we get to see a lot of ballet in this movie. You could say we get to see <laughs> too much of it and that it's, you know, kind of extraneous and goes nowhere and well, is just like here a to pad the runtime. Bubblegum uh, interpretation of ballet, I guess you can say. Mm. Yeah. By some miracle, this film isn't actually over two hours long yeah. either. Yeah, and somehow, because I watched it... because. There was no way I was ever going to pay to watch this movie again. <laughs> I watched this through my uh, university library. So this is actually now officially research for me. I probably have to... Hopefully this... I don't have to write a paper on this film now. Hopefully this counts for it. But the cut that I got was some... Because I had a look at the theatrical... Cu- the the theat- runtime online and the theatrical cut said 146 minutes. The cut that I had you was one, 96. You mean 106 minutes? 106, yeah. yeah. An, hour, an hour and 46, sorry. God, and 146 minutes would have killed me. Yeah, it would have... Yeah, I wouldn't be here. Times you can hear the same songs over and over. Well, apparently not, because people keep going back to see this movie. Or besides them, it's probably like crack to them. Just get a big, like, dopamine spike shot to the head whenever they listen to the those songs that they enjoy. But not not for me. Mm, No, not for me either. We're 22 minutes into the recording. We've only done like covered like the first 10 minutes of this film. Oh my god. Uh, buckle in, guys. So yeah, we see we see PT at his job for like a bank or something. On it's like a shipping company, I think actually. And uh, almost as soon as we see him at this job, he gets immediately fired because. All of the ships have just sunk <laughs> right in the middle of the South China Sea. They just sail up all of the Bermuda Triangle. Just they could all sink. We need to we need to like push the plot along. So let's just all sink yeah, at the same like time. And like, oh, you're gonna have to be really sad and mopey and li- lose your job. Hey, let's go back up to the rooftop with P.T. Barnum's shithead kids. Oh my god, they're the worst. And what's it? It's one of their birthdays or whatever. And he has this thing. He puts oh. a. I don't know. I don't know what exactly it is, but for some reason in my notes, I have giant thimble with holes in it that he puts over this like candle a and spins strainer? it. Oh, That's what I was like thinking. It's like a spaghetti strainer, but it was like a weird lampshade. Like it just conveniently fit over the yeah. lamp, and he just spins it around. He spins it around, and the girl's like, "Whoa!" You know, for someone who didn't think this film was that bad, you've been shaking your head an awful <laughs> lot during this recording, Eric. Just saying. I mean, it's not. I didn't <laughs> expect something to be good, so I'm not disappointed. I, I went in knowing that I'm just going to get this commercial shit. And that's kind of what I got. Like, they were making this movie, as Sean said, to sell other things. So I wasn't yeah. expecting 
to get like a sort of well-rounded movie. I was expecting yeah. performances and stuff that could be marketed. I mean, I'm surprised I didn't see some product placement for a Coke ad in there. Like, you know, uh, oh. Coke didn't, I don't think Coke was established in the late yeah. 19th century. Know exactly? yeah, like but it would have been funny to see a glass bottle of Coke. That would have been hilarious. And very <laughs> much like on brand for this film. Mm. It is yeah. a little bit like, because you obviously expected to get that. Mm. I was kind of the opposite. I mean, I love like my happy feel good films. I think mm. we all know that. So even like on paper, this sounded great, right? musical with Hugh Jackman, cool, like Hugh Jackman, Zendaya, Zac Efron, mm-hmm. like Michelle Williams, like rounding out this cast. I'm thinking... This could sure, be good. This could be good. And at oh, the wait, very who least, is it about? Yeah. And at the very least, even if it wasn't fantastic, it would have been some cheesy fun, but it's not even enjoyable. Mm. Like, it's not fun at all. I feel like I'm genuinely suffering. Mm. Michael Gracie said that his inspirations for this film were Peter Allen, Tim Minchin, and, no surprise to anybody, Baz Luhrmann. Mm. Because this movie wants to be Moulin Rouge so badly. Do you think uh, he can be a successor to Lu- to? Is it Lerman? Because I always no. get the. I always is it. Bi- no. 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 At least, but the reason why Moulin Rouge works is because it's a kind of uncanny. Like there's a s- sense of fantasy there. Like it's not taking place in the real world and it's not with real people. And so the use of modern songs in that movie, it's kind of yeah. Like a suspension of disbelief it. is expected. Whereas like The Greatest Showman is a retelling of someone's life. You would but at I least wouldn't say it's realistic. Like well, no, not at all. Mm. But if you're going to be going completely balls to the wall with how camp you want your film to be, it would make a little bit more sense for it to be more enjoyable. Plus, Baz Luhrmann is a better filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's got, <laughs> From he's this made, one film. He's made more films. He's got that advantage. Um, mm. And I guess he, I think he did have a background in um, theatre, possibly. Uh, Luhrmann, I think, did, yeah. I think he did. Mm. And this guy, he's, 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 he, all of his previous work were ads. <laughs> I don't understand how he was given such a big budget considering he had like no experience whatsoever. That's what's know. baffling friends. to me. I think, what friends. I think what may have happened is someone really big must have dropped out and then he was like a replacement or something like that. Mm. I think that may have been the case. Maybe. Because I saw James Mangold was an executive producer on this film. I don't know, maybe. Um... Hugh Jackman was attached to this two years before Michael Gracie had even been chosen to direct. Okay. But there is no word of whether or not anyone had been chosen first. It just says Michael Gracie was chosen to direct in mm. August 2011. And then two years later, Pasek and Paul of La La Land fame were put on to write songs. At what time, sorry? When? 2013. So two 2013. Years, two years after Michael Gracie got attached. I mean, this feels like... So they were, they were attached in 2013 because I don't know if anyone's aware of that TV show Smash that Pasek mm-hmm. and Paul did. So many of the songs in this fi- film sound like they were like ripped right from Smash. Yeah. That's obviously, that's obviously why they got hired. And also, like uh, just after La La Land, they're like, shit, we hit the jackpot here. Like, these guys have just won Oscars. Like, La La Land was huge. Like, and these guys are writing songs. Cha-ching. What surprises me, too, is that there's two people behind this score. So, two people helping write these songs along with these lyrics. And they just... The production is so tinny. Mm. Like, I actually went... Like, when I watched this for the second time, I went back and... Sorry about that, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, no. We all had to... Well... I had to rewatch it too, and Eric had to watch it for the first time. So we're you know what? It was worth it suffering. to sit here with you guys today. This is a support honestly. group. This yeah. isn't a podcast anymore. This <laughs> is a support group. Um, I went back, and obviously, because I've been, you know, absolutely blasted at work with these pop covers. In my head, I was like, the production surely, like, you know, the only thing that's different is the performers. 
No. Like, the production on these songs is awful. They don't even sound good in the script of the film. They don't at all. This Is Me is probably the worst of all of them, and that's meant to be, like, the big one. Well, as I mentioned before, they sound very similar, like, backing track-wise, mm. which is why yeah. I could... When they put the songs back to back, I couldn't actually differentiate <laughs> which, like, when they started a new song, I thought they were playing, like, one song for 20 minutes. I didn't realise yeah. that they were, like, four s- songs strung together they just or something. do not sound good <laughs> at any point. Yeah. Well, they sound I, too similar. I also think that the sound mixing is really bad in this film. Like, especially mm. with the music, you can't hear the lyrics over them. The, this music is so overbearing, you actually can't hear the lyrics. <laughs> Considering if it's, like, your most profitable aspect, surely it would be at least focused a bit more, but... No. What do we know? Oh, they just want to blare, blare that backing track. Yeah. People aren't going to be able to hear the characters maybe singing over themselves maybe singing. Maybe they want to like, hide the terrible lyrics. They just want them to hear the, uh, the really catchy ones. Mm. <laughs> well, I think maybe if you're going to hide the lyrics, it would be to cover up the fact that they pretty much don't tie into the scenes by no. like the tiniest of ties. Like They're just dumped in there. It's like, yeah. hey, we'll just pause the movie. One hundred percent. Song number time. One hundred percent. I have a theory. Did, is there a Fan possibility theory? that the songs um, could have been written before um, maybe a script was made? Like maybe they made these songs. I'm sure of it. And then they were just like, "Oh shit, um, this script uh, doesn't really incorporate anything from these songs. Yeah. Where the hell are we going to wedge these in?" So they now just that try you've to said it. stick yeah. it in as best. Like this song will. Uh, these people are singing about, uh, I don't know, their uniqueness or whatever. I guess we can stick it here. We can stick this song here because something about th- something very loose about that sort of happens. I don't know. Mm. But, um, yeah, you're right. A lot of the songs don't seem to fit too much with the context of what's happening in the scene. It's, like, so loosely stuck in there. Yeah, and I would even be okay with them being trashy pop songs if they at least tied into the film somewhat, but they don't. Well, that's that's what Moulin Rouge does well, and getting back to Baz Luhrmann as well, like, even with his extravagance and, like, his ex- excessive, like, extravagance, there's a charm to it, and there's, like, like there's a kind of, like, not necessarily sentimentality, but there's, like, there's something endearing about, like, his, like, like artificiality here. Mm. It just feels so cheap. Yeah. Mm. And really tacky too. Does anyone actually have an aspect of this film that they enjoyed? I know that, like Eric, you said that you mm. knew what you were getting from it, so you probably weren't as disappointed as I was Sean just and I being, were. I don't know, I'm, I, I, I can be a bit uh, grumpy, I guess. <laughs> just, uh, I was just, I just, I just see, I just saw the advertisement of the film and I'm like, yeah, this is probably going to be this. And I kind of got what I, what I expected. I wasn't as optimistic as you guys yeah. who were maybe expected. This could be a good film. Like, I just thought that this is going to be terrible. <laughs> and going and expecting it to be terrible, not being disappointed because I got what, got, got what I thought I would yeah. get. But are there any aspects of this film that you do genuinely enjoy? Just, uh, you know, just to see. I don't know. I thought some of the green screens are kind of funny. Like, there was that particular one where uh, Hugh Jackman jumps on a train. And oh, <laughs> it's when like he, it's when like he jumps in on it instead of Hugo for two seconds? Will it looks like the Polar Express? I'm not gonna I lie. don't even know what it looked like. Someone was designing like a backdrop for I don't know something, but like they clearly didn't finish it because it was like unpopulated. It was like this oh. weird tram line, like just down the middle of this really barren street. I was just laughing. I was like, <laughs> whoever made this, I should have got fired. Sean, anything that you liked? Um, Hugh Jackman is very committed in this film, like, he showed up for work every single day. And 
that's literally all I can say. I don't really like anything else about this movie. I yeah. Think. No. No. Uh, go, and we'll get to reasons why, but back to the rooftop because we're still, oh, we're still bloody second. at the rooftop. The, you know what? Us being at the rooftop for this song feels like how the rooftop feels in the film. Mm, and it's about as long as the A Million Dreams songs go for oh because they start that again. It's the worst. I can't. And yeah, it starts off with the kids singing it. I guess they tried to be cute. I don't know. It, it, it was no. a bit bizarre. I was like, uh, oh, I get it. Reincorporation. Uh, the, the other kids sung that song earlier in the film like five minutes ago. I can remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and now their kids are singing the song. Yeah. I, I think I do have a bee in my bonnet about this song in particular because Pink covers it and oh I can't yeah. stand Pink on, like, on principle. But mm. yeah. It doesn't fare that well on its own. All right, I think we need to move on from this yeah. scene because we're not going to go anywhere. <laughs> so we're in the unemployment line or something, or is it a bank or whatever, and he's trying to get a loan off someone, and this is where he first <sighs> sees Tom Thumb walking, mm. out, walking out, and His he says, victim. what are you looking at, buddy? <laughs> was, that a, was that a real, like, uh, person? Or yeah. person? Yeah, no, he was yeah, walking he, on his knees during filming. Oh. But he, he was walking... Really? Yeah, they got him no, to walk on his knees. Um, legs did look stun- stunted, but I was yeah. when I when I when I saw that person, I was trying to figure out is that is that like a is that a real is that a genuine midget or is that did they get a kid Whoa. and try to like yeah. morph his face to Worse look like than an Renesme older person? In Breaking Dawn. Oh, it was that because I because <laughs> when I saw that that guy, I was like, oh, this is strange. Um, I don't know what they did, but something seems a bit off. So he goes in to pitch this idea for the Barnum Circus of like, what 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 does he call it? Of unusualties or like, it's the Barnum mm. Circus of some kind. And he, I'm just trying to find it in my notes. And he says that like, like this idea first of all just comes from absolutely nowhere. And we're assumed to think that this is all stemming back from the little troll that gave him the apple earlier in the film. Actually, yeah, you're right. I don't remember him ever wanting to become a ringleader of sorts. Um, another funny thing about that scene is uh, he he like cons the bank because he has a pamphlet from his old job and he claims that he owned like two hundred ships in the out mm. the Pacific the or, or the Southeast Asian Ocean or something. Yeah, and I was like, what the heck? And the bank just like blindly, oh okay, here's a pamphlet. All right, we'll, we'll give you a whole heap of money. Th- they take all the s- all the sunken ships as collateral they for take this. Yeah, it was. I may have blacked uh, out during this part because it's. Oh, just I remember that because it's so stupid. <laughs> I was like, I was like, no way. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think this movie would be good watching, even if you were like absolutely trashed. I mean, if you were hate watching it with your friends, maybe. But there are much better films to hate watch with your friends. Mm, yeah, we've covered are. we've covered two of them on this show already. You're better off watching the Book of Henry over this. At least it's more entertaining, somewhat. So he opens this museum and. What does he even have in there? Like he has, first of all, it's just like a bunch of like taxidermied animals and like a whole bunch of, uh, mm-hmm. he has has some str- like some like sleight of hand thief that he like just found <laughs> off the street to like the, to work at the ticket booth or whatever. Yeah, his pick of um, employees is a bit eclectic at times. Mm. What happens next? Please tell me again uh, so I can get refreshed. I don't know. Well, again, again, it's the film trying to move through plot as quickly as possible so we can get to the next um Musical song, uh, musical song. Uh, this mu- movie is ruining my brain. Yeah, no, he, there's like a musical montage of him like finding freaks, right? Oh, that's a bit later because yeah. what happens is... 
is I'm pretty sure there might have been a song like he brings his No, there isn't there isn't a song. He brings his song like Does he do a song there? He he starts by handing out pamphlets at like a train station or whatever whatever and sees like a bunch of people just like throwing them on the ground, like laughing him off, as they should. And then it's like and he goes up to the sleight of hand guy and he's like, Oh, how many tickets have we sold? And it's like three. And turns around, it's Michelle Williams and the kids all holding up their tickets. Yeah, That's and they suggest that he needs to switch gears. So he starts looking for like real life people to be in his show and there's another Th- song. This is where he approaches Tom Thumb and like he's like, Hey, like I want you for my show and Tom Thumb's like, Okay, go fuck yourself. And then <laughs> what does it what's the line of dialogue he says? It's like I think I've got it here on my notes. It says, they're going to be laughing at you anyway. You might as well get paid. Yeah. And does this convince him to join the circus or what? Yeah. No, no, he says something afterwards because he said something weird. Like he says that it pisses the the guy off and then he goes back to him and then he says something like, they're not going to laugh at you. They're going to laugh with you. Like he tries to read. Yeah. Yeah, He says they'll laugh at me. It's like they'll be laughing anyway. Just get paid for it. Yeah. Well, he says, what I'm an pretty sure he way tries to get pitched a job. Though. I'm pretty sure he tries to like reword what he said before, and the guy just accepts it. It was really weird. That was actually. I'm but pretty you sure know, it progression. That that what Hugh Jackman's line is actually the um uh what actually motivated me to get into film review. <laughs> They're gonna be laughing at you anyway, except I'm not getting paid, so I'm just still getting laughed at. So. Oh well, at least you got an audience, <sighs> I guess. What? Well, if people are laughing at you continuously, I can guess you people call that implies a that there are people there. Mm. So, does someone tip them off of like, hey, there's a, it's like, hey, if there's a freak you're looking for, come over here. And this is where we get introduced to something that I've never understood why it's such a novelty at the circus: the bearded lady. Just shave. I yeah. don't don't get oh, it. I'm not kidding. When I saw that, I was like, are you serious? Like, like a bearded woman, like with this big bushy beard, that would have taken her like. Like a long, t- like a month or two or something, a while to grow. So you're telling me like this woman doesn't know what it, like a, what a shaver is? I mean, she could just rip it off are. because I mean, I mean, there's no way to get around this. But like, she could just rip it off because this beard is fake yeah, as shit. It's so <laughs> that yeah. was that was so stupid when I saw that. Yeah, I just and this this is played th- this role is played by a Broadway star Kiala Settle, who uh, I think this is her first ever film role, and I think she would most likely return to bro- and play this character on the Broadway. The Nikki Blonsky situation. Yeah. Um, just to play devil's advocate, I'm looking up the history of the razor, um, and the first documented um, oh, razors have been around for a long yeah. time. Yeah, I'm like it seems that little bit, little bit like little bit too late to be accessible to the general public at this point so maybe no, this film no no, no. razors around for such a long time like the Scandinavians were, were grooming themselves uh, I think yeah. ancient Mesopotamian civilizations had grooming tools I don't they I mean there could have been some kind of economical like razors or why am I looking buy. this up why am I defending this film make me stop then we get a montage of more freaks that he uh, and and that's what the movie calls them that's not yeah. that's not us saying that yeah. i so mean the film's trying to be error accurate i guess so i've got a few in the notes here of just some of the ones i noticed uh dog boy uh tattoo man fat guy yeah, tall ta- guy horned man so and three-legged dude what's so impressive about a man with a bunch of tattoos all over his body yeah, I know. it's like the bearded lady it's like it's like that was a, a choice. Yeah, so the bearded lady in the, the tattoo was like, "That's a choice that you made." Yeah, 
I mean, he wasn't born with all those tattoos over his body. I doubt it. Anyways. Yeah. And there's just a guy that's in there because he's morbidly obese. I mean, that's... that's Maybe oh. in this year of 2019, we've been too spoiled with actual freaks. We don't understand the minds of, mm. you know, people back then. Maybe. Maybe. I don't get how being like an acrobat is a being a freak either. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe that's when they rebranded it as a circus because that—that's an interesting yeah. point of contention oh. in this film because you've got Zendaya and the, uh, her brother, played by the guy that played Black Manta and Aquaman, and they are yeah, they're trapeze artists, and it's like, but trapeze isn't freaky. Like, and it's it's a part of the circus, but they're not considered circus freaks. So, is the reason why they're here because they're black? Is that what this movie's saying? Because if yeah. so, yikes, buddy. I mean, there are a few um, racial issues that come up later on, but they're obviously very much glossed over because this film has nothing serious to say about mm. anything. Th th there's one mention of the word spooks at one point, which again, yikes. Yeah, yeah. and I think at one point they're called the help. So. Yeah, actually, I do remember hearing that. That was really strange. That was the father of... Like, Zac Efron's father, he's like, oh, you brought the help along. Just as soon as he sees uh, Zac Efron bring along the trapeze girl, which I guess was his girlfriend at the time, and then it's just like, what? Like, just as soon as he sees her, it's just, oh, you brought the help along. Just the insult straight off the bat. So mm. once uh, Barnum starts bringing in all of these, like, all of his acts, like, the circus just goes off and it's, mm. like, an instant success and we get into this next musical number, which is Come Alive. Which sounds like the worst Phil Collins song I've ever heard. I mean, this, I think this might actually be like the one of the worst songs. What gets me too is that all of the audience like singing along to the songs as well. So I'm like, is yeah. this a concert? Like, have they been multiple times? How do you know the words to the song? Is that why it's so popular? Because people keep going? Mm. I don't understand. Neither. I think we might be overanalyzing this movie. Yeah, too I think much. I think we might be too. Mm. But. That's all we're here for, right? Yeah, but there's just, it's just this, it, things just happen. There is no narrative momentum in this film. Things just happen to get to the next song number. You're very, you're very correct with that sequence because I'm pretty sure uh, the juxtaposition from getting like three tickets to Full House and then they, the next night Full House again is just mind-boggling because like, yeah. it's like this is such uh, – he's got such a crazy stroke of luck. I don't, like it, it was as if he bought – because well, he didn't really put, didn't seem like he put that much effort into it. Because everything he did to make the show was like really easy for him. Just had to sweet talk some people and just sort of uh, dress the place up a bit, and then you know he's just making heaps of money. It's crazy. Mm. But he still doesn't think it's good enough because he, he still gets Zac Efron on board. Yeah, I mean, they, there was even a comment where uh, they they had like a, they were living in a nice nicer apartment. And he said, and they're in a mansion now. No, I think they bought the bought they bought the old mansion later. Oh, but uh, he's, uh, he, what's it? Um, Hugh Jackman said something weird like, "Oh, we're still not doing too well," or something like that. Even though they're making all this money off the show, it might have been like weird bourgeoisie standards that he was going off. But I'm like saying, well, I mean, beat stealing bread, mate. Mm. <laughs> But I think that's actually where we are uh, at this point of the movie. After the Come Alive sequence, we get to see, like, Barnum has bought this massive, like, sort of, like, palatial estate almost. Mm. And this carriage that he's riding has horses painted like zebras. Did anyone else <laughs> notice this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But then this is where, because this thread is so important and so prescient to the movie, guys, 
Barnum gives one of her daughters a pair of ballet slippers as a present, and we get to see. Oh my her god! Because we cared about that, didn't exa- we? Yeah. Yep. Oh my god. Get ready. The movie's only going to waste about twenty more minutes on that. Um. So where were we now? Uh, we said Zac Efron, and my head just went. Yeah, I think Zac Efron. Oh. Thi- I think this is around where we're introduced to Zac Efron. Yeah, yeah, and this song is not that bad when he convinces mm. him to join like so the troop. Yeah, so th- Zac Efron is playing. I can't remember his character's name. His name he is he Philip he Carlyle. Philip Carlyle, and I'm guessing he's a real dude, right? Yeah. Yeah, and he was like some theater director or some kind of. Yeah, he was a playwright. Playwright, theater director, that kind of thing, and. What Barnum is trying to get him on because, like, he has an eye for showmanship or, like, the showbiz or whatever. And I think because he had connections of sorts. Because he lends like him, that. like, some gig with Buckingham Palace, which is really bizarre. He gets them to Buckingham Palace later yeah. in the film. But this is where we get yeah. to the, the, the other side dance number. And I was getting major flashbacks to the uh, dance number in Hail Caesar watching this. <laughs> and made me just wish I was watching Hail Caesar the whole time. So. <laughs> well, that's a strange sequence because they were just... There's like a three-minute song and they drank ten shots yeah, and I thought exactly. they were going to collapse as soon as they, <laughs> as soon as they stopped amazing. singing. If it was me, the song would have stopped three shots in. But. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm just saying like they, they were just drinking the shots like water. Maybe oh. maybe like, it was like really watered down alcohol. The bartender was oh, like, well, it, shit, they're uh, going to go apple, sing now. You know what? Well, that that would make sense. Yeah. It, is, it was probably um, yeah, some terrible like, I don't know, homebrew rubbish like alcohol would have been but it looks like a pretty nice establishment that they're in at the very least you would think it'd be good quality Mm. alcohol why are we still like (laughs) analyzing this but this that stuff's more interesting than talking about the (laughs) film this this sequence actually has kind of one of the only other genuinely like oh that was good moments of this film this yeah it it has a scene transition where it's a it starts as a bird's eye view of the bar and then it it like pans down and they're they're backstage at the circus i'm like that was good i mean Every all the other editing in this movie is shit because this had six editors in this film, including Damien Chazelle regular Tom Cross. Wait, are we talking about Bohemian Rhapsody? Like, why why was there so much editing? Am I talking about the wrong know. film right now? No? I haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody, so I think yeah. yes. Oh, no. If you see any clip on Twitter, that's all you'll need to oh, see. Geez. Any clip on Twitter. Oh, I saw Bohemian Rhapsody. I guess it's like similar quality to this film. Mm. But I'm just saying like that edit that I liked, I'm like, yeah, that was definitely Tom Cross. Yeah. Edit. The one good thing about this film, I see you. Mm, because of Chazelle. And mm-hmm. He can do no wrong. Um, okay, so at that point, Carlisle sees Zendaya, falls in love with yeah. her. like In slow In motion. real slow motion too, yeah. Because we didn't understand that, you know, that look was like... <gasps> love at first sight, actually. Yeah. It's slow-mo love at first sight. So mm. the first sight lasts for Even like 30 seconds. Mm. And I mean, this it, it this movie acts as if this is going to be like big and it just goes nowhere. Like well, it does provide us with one of the best songs in the film as well. Mm. Not the best sequences, but one of the best songs. But what about Barnum's Daughter's Ballet Recital, oh guys? So they go and watch this and like... The girls are bullying her because her dad, like, just the, the little girls call her like an animal or like a circus freak or something because of Barnum, and it's like, this movie did not need this. Yeah, kids in that year were not original. Yeah, I'm. Oh wait, no, this. I don't think the writers were very original. <laughs> no, actually. no, neither. Mm. I also forgot to mention that just before the other side musical number, I think Barnum re- mentioned something about comfort is the enemy of progress. Yeah. This movie saying anything about progress, just fuck you. Seriously, fuck you. 
Yeah, mm. kind of a. I really uh, had nothing critical else. On, on yeah. progression, really. If, yeah. If, if the film's trying to sell that. Well, the film does very much feel like comfort food for you know moviegoers, considering mm. how much, how many people have gone to see this multiple times, how much you know mm. merch and various other media there is about it. It is very much like comfort food mm. for people. Mm, because there's really not much of anything else going on here. It's quite a hollow, like really vapid film. Yeah. Like it's. It's not saying anything, but what it's trying to say is well, what's not doing to say it at is all. Been said like so many times, and, and they do it in the worst way possible yeah. by trying to essentially glorify a man that is, you well, know, they, they do contradict themselves. Evil incarnate. Even when they try to make statements of of, of accepting um, people different to them or whatnot, yeah, because uh, it's just especially how it ends. It's really bizarre because uh, the the troop. Um, you know, they they get harassed by uh, the townsfolk or the city oh, folk yeah. and whatnot, and uh, and they realise that um, Barnum's you know just exploiting them, but then they just take him back with open arms yeah. as if like nothing happened. And I was like, oh wow, this is really weird. <laughs> yeah, have any kind of conflict in this movie whatsoever that at all feels genuine or natural? But Sean, the conflict is going to upset the audience. They just want to feel good the whole time. They yeah. just want happy songs and colourful looking crap on the screen. I mean, not that stuff. this needed to be like a dark film, but if you're going to go for a light tone, at least try and do something with it mm. other than just be ridiculous, fluffy nonsense. Yeah. This film does not know what it wants to be other than entertaining. Is this around the time where, like, Zac Efron is like, hey, we got an invi- invitation to see Queen Victoria... No, Victoria, no, Elizabeth? I'm, I'm not good uh, with Queen's uh, guys with uh, royalty. I think it was Elizabeth II. Should be Queen Anne, because Queen Anne would tell them to, sh- to stop it, like, immediately, and then be wheeled away on a wheel- in a wheelchair and Queen go back Vic- home and fuck Queen Rachel Victoria. Bryce. <laughs> Queen Victoria. Yeah, and it's completely go of my the favourite reference, okay? Thanks. I'm sorry. I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> Let's talk about that film for three hours instead. I would love to. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they go to meet Queen Victoria and then he meets the um, Swedish singer Jenny Lind. Before that, they, they say it's only Barnum that can go. Yeah, it's yeah. It's only Barnum and Efron that can go. Yeah. But then they're like, well, tell, tell them either all of us go or none of us do. And that works. That works. How long do you reckon that would have taken to get from? Months. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, months. months. That would have had to have been delivered by a ship and that would have took months to go from, from one know, side. But you know, plot progression, we don't really need to yep. see well, no one Well, no one ages in this film no. anyway. No, who cares? I mean, uh, like, we go from, uh, what, uh, Jackman and Williams, first sort of uh, reuniting, and then it's like a minute later they have, like, half-grown children. And you think, oh, yep. how <laughs> so much time's passed and I didn't even notice. Yeah, another yeah. question I had, though, was during this scene, the trapeze artists seemed, like, particularly uncomfortable in their costumes. It's like, yeah. you don't need to be in your costumes if you're not performing. No. Like, <laughs> if you're a freak enough, why do you need to be dressed? They obviously were uncomfortable. Nothing makes sense. I don't know. Maybe uh, Barnum Are didn't you give him money actually? to buy clothes. No, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. So this is where, like, uh, uh, what was that the the Tom Thumb like insults the Queen or something and says something. <laughs> What's the line, Eric? Can you remember? I can't remember. He said he said some plucky uh, line. Yeah, and it's like it's like oh, you're so tall, like you're so short, or you're so tiny. It's like well, you aren't. You're not reaching the top shelf yourself. Yeah, that's the yeah. one. And she and there's like a moment of awkward silence, and she starts going. <laughs> 
like a Steve Carell laugh. Yeah, everyone yeah. just starts laughing, and it's like, and they're all just kind of like, <laughs> like, so that happens, and then we get introduced to Jenny Lind, played by Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, it was originally, uh, I think Anne Hathaway was originally considered for this role as God, well. we were cheated. Well, at least she would have actually sung and not be dubbed. Mm. <laughs> that singer is incredible. Mm. But the movie, again, like literally pausing the film. For yeah, for this performance. And it's a, like a Christina Aguilera pop ballad, essentially. Yeah. It's <laughs> and it gets reprised later. And oh, no, no, we forgot to say, because they go back to America like first. What happens... Because this is what I was confused about. Like, even not hearing her sing at all, Barnum signs her up and then says, like, even... Because she's so beautiful, yeah. that's why. Even yeah. when they take her back to America, before she's about to do her first ever performance on American soil, Barnum still has not heard her sing. Yeah. <laughs> that is just stupid. He and well, he's a gambler. I mean, no he bought the weed circus. There is in no way he was the... Any showman worth their but salt yeah, would if have your heard show, it. If your show has already gotten that big, surely you wouldn't want to do anything to yeah. like tarnish his reputation. Mm. She could have gone. Don't out trust the Europeans. You want to hear us sing she yourself. She could have mm. gone out on stage and sounded like Meryl Streep for all you know. You have no idea. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I went there. Yeah. Throwing shade at some of the greatest actresses in the world because they can't sing. That's yeah. We're equal opportunity offenders here. Exactly. Okay. Um. I don't even know what happens in this film. I'm trying to think of what happens next, and it's not oh, coming to me at I all. I think there is well, a fire. This is what happened. I, no, no, that's a bit later. I mean, again, there's no plot progression. Things no, just that, happen. Yeah. No, so we start to see is like Barnum starts to get like a little bit more they're, like they're neglectful, uppity. Yeah, and he yeah. shuts them out of a certain party, and that's when we get. Well, first, yeah. first, firstly, what happens is that they're sitting in like one of the marquees up there, and then mm. is it Barnum's parents or his family that they swap out? No, it's Barnum's. It's Barnum's father-in-law. I think he, he's invited him, and he's like yeah, got them to sit in the booth, yeah. and all of the people in his circus are got, are been told to sit in the standing room at the back. That's like the first little bit of ne that of unnecessary neglect. conflict between him and his father-in-law is just. I, mean, that's I, I totally care about this. That's what mm. the movie boils down to at the end, you though, which is it's ridiculous. That, it's that it's that going back to that child abuse. He's still holding a grudge from that one instant he got from slapped. that one slap. That one slap. Well, so he's he just doing all this to get back at him because he's a petty man. Yeah, and he started <laughs> an entire circus because one disabled person was nice to him the one time. Yeah. So mm. this film very much rides on pettiness. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, this is as Ashley was alluding to. This is where we get to see. This is me, which is yeah, shudder. I mean, I don't know what's worse, this version or the Kesha cover. The production on that sounds really tinny too. It sounds like it's a low quality backing track that Kesha has just sung over, <laughs> as well. Like I'm hearing it on the radio, I'm like, this is not my phone that's bad quality. This is the song. This has happened multiple times. But my major grab with this film is pretty much centered around this song, yep. and it's not even the fact that I think this is an awfully written song. I think it's really like. It's an empowering anthem for people to just throw on top of whatever the hell they want to. It's just poisonous because of the association it has with yeah, this film. Yeah, and the scene, the scene itself, the scene itself is just god awful. So first off, the production on this song, like the arrangement, is just terrible, yeah. really, really bad. And then it turns like they're singing this song after they've been rejected from the party, and then it becomes a musical number that they're performing 
during the yeah. set. So I'm a little bit confused. Has Barnum allowed them to perform this song despite the fact that they're doing it as a middle finger to him and then the audience are singing along too? Like it completely <laughs> muddles the message. Has, like has Zac Efron taken over the show at this point though? No, he no, hasn't. Exactly. So then you why bring up a good point. Yeah, so mm. then why are they allowed to sing this song when essentially they're singing it because, you know, Barnum's been a dick to them? And yeah. people are singing along. It's like, oh, this is such a fun yeah. song. The it's audi- a self-empowering anthem. The audience are like clapping along to it. It's it's, it's confusing as hell. And don't don't later on that they just attack the troupe anyways after like that song plays. Um, yeah. That happens. Well, like th- they're like, like th- running into an angry mob. Uh, uh, there's like an angry mob outside their circus, and they're like marching towards them. And the choreography in this scene is laughably like lethargic and awkward. Like they're just like like jumping around. <laughs> and, like, bo- like obviously you can't yeah. see because it's a podcast, but it just looks so. There's a lot of shoulder movements from yeah. side to side. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the circus gets burned down from the scuffle of, of of people trying to attack the troop. Yeah, and every that single time the bearded lady is at the front of this as if she's the one that's going to beat up everyone. The fight scenes in this film are comical. Oh, oh mm. my God. Because he's not an, uh, because Michael Gracie is not an action director. Michael he Gracie is not a director, barely. True, true. <laughs> Sorry, Unless Michael Gracie, but ad. please, go to film school. Yeah, I, I guess. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't expect good action scenes in, in a film like that. I guess that's why we don't really get that much. But it is pretty cheesy, the cheesy group. Do you think it's intended stuff. to be, to, like, do you think it's intended to be hilarious? Well, in my mind, when I'm watching something that's so poorly constructed, I always think this must, this must have been intentionally poorly made. This is some kind of joke. No, no. no. This like film has way too much sincerity for that to be Yeah, I know. Yeah. There is no way. <laughs> and even then, when you try to be so bad, it's good. You come off worse. Like, the best way to be so bad, it's good is to just not try. I mean, well, th- these people think... Th- like, those people make a bad movie with a bad movie in mind. These people thought they were making... Like, a the good ne- film. They thought yeah. they were making, like, the next Singing in the Rain here. I mean, you could make a good... Yeah. You well, can the make next, a good, bad version, film. Say. Actually, but it's... Yeah. I mean, you can make a good, bad film, but if you intentionally go out to make just a rubbish film for the sake of it's a rubbish film and some people, I know that's going to be ironically made and they watch it anyways, that's very shallow. But like in this... But that but works sometimes though. Yeah, not not really for me. Just just because just of how shallow it is, I'm just like, oh, piece of crap. I'd rather watch some delusioned artist make something terrible and he thought that what he made was good or he keeps trying to defend it, but what you what the end result was something disastrous because he didn't know what the hell he was doing. Or, or whatever. With the case of like the greatest showman, I was just, I was hoping like this guy was doing some kind of uh, like I don't know uh, like deconstruction of that kind of film by showing how you know shallow it is to make this kind of cash grabby musical type of thing. But no, that's it was exactly mm. what it was. Yeah, <laughs> actually, was <laughs> yeah. On that note, I got um, tagged in a tweet earlier this morning. Actually. Um, one of my friends found a greatest musicals box set at and JB it's Hi-Fi. Got the greatest, the greatest no. showman is ranked here with the likes of West Side Story and Rogers and Hammerstein. I'm just, I'm honestly just in shock. Amazing. Um, amazing. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's that? because it's maybe West just because story. it's 20th Century Fox, like a DVD yeah. release from them, and they're just like, oh, uh, we but only have like this many. you seriously thought like 
all of these other musicals. Oh, let's just throw in The Greatest Showman. Cut it off at seven films. Don't add the eighth if it's The Greatest Showman. Well, it has the word great in it, so we have to add it, surely. Oh but, but can you just imagine seeing like a sight and sound poll and then you have West Side Story right next to it, so in front of it, Greatest Showman. The ca- <laughs> no, The Greatest that, Showman is the first listed film in this like... It's the most recent off. one. The one that's going to atten- like grab the yeah. most attention. Well, people are going to be like, I remember Greatest Showman that came out two years ago. Anyone <laughs> that buys this box set for the rest of the musicals is not going to like The Greatest Showman. You're not going to yeah. have the same taste in film. This is like, yeah. Mm, or Greatest Showman's like a farce of, of, of those it kinds is. of musicals. It is. It genuinely is like yeah. a caricature <laughs> and it, not even a good one at that. It's just oh, yeah. a grotesque farce. It is. <laughs> yeah. A grotesque just, farce. If I ever have to watch this film again, that's all I'm writing on Letterboxd. Grotesque farce. I mean, that's why I was thinking, like, is this guy actually taking the piss out of these movies, or is this is like no. this is him trying to mimic it's a that? Genuine homage. It that's the worst yeah, part. Yeah, That's the strange thing that it was a genuine homage, and I was just, oh, this yeah. is bizarre. And it's just in this musical number, which is meant to be like you know the heart and soul of the film, this the "This Is Me" song. But it's like all of the like all of the circus performance in this film. Apart from like you know the Tom Thumb and the bearded lady and obviously Zendaya, they're all featured extras. They are. Mm. <laughs> they they're we don't extras. care about anyone else's stories. Yeah, like we're not uh, meant to care. I mean, there was one moment when in one of the d- in this particular dance sequence, I'm like, wait, there's a guy with three legs. Yeah. They're there for I w- where's his story? I want a movie on him and his struggle and his life in the circus. Give that to me right now. The the reason why like so, like the some of those. Um, Freaks get some attention. Is that like there was that, as you said, there was that guy that was like, you know, uh, quite overweight or like uh, obese. There's like a gag where Barnum tries to make him look even bigger by sticking a pillow under his like yeah. shirt. Like yeah, they're only there for gags. There's a tall Russian guy. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, he's Russian. There's a Russian but guy, but they call him the, yeah, look, I, the Irish yeah. giant. Like they're there for jokes. Mm. That's why they exist. And then the rest of the background extras where they do something ridiculous like. Make like three-legged Jake or what about or the albino the albino twins? Don't forget them. Mm. Oh, the well, the Siamese twins. Well, there's the Siamese there twins, and then there's the albino. Th- there's the two albino you twins can tell too. It was like it was just two dudes sharing a shirt. Well, you know, we might be getting a sequel to this, right? So maybe you might no. get your three-legged man story. I mean, I'd be down for that, but like, if there's no fun, <laughs> I don't understand why Hugh Jackman needs to be attached to it. If there's going to be a sequel, though, he moved on in the end. I mean, if if that movie, if if that movie with the three legged man has the three legged man kicking P.T. Barnum to death, I am down for it. Mm. I think this sequel, if they do make it, it's going to be like based on the children of the Barnum family, like continuing the Christ. continuing the legacy. legacy. Continue they get the, the same actresses too. Oh yeah. my god. Oh, let's hope they develop some skills over the next few years. It might be something more about ballet than running like a like a circus troupe. Yeah. So at this point I'm pretty sure this is where we get our the help. Yeah, because S- Yeah, our thi- little line there. This barely defined relationship between uh Disney Channel product Zendaya and other Disney Channel product uh Zach Efron. Mm. It's a uh, good looking couple though, you gotta admit. Yeah. Yeah, I ship them big time, big time. Yeah, so they pretty much are gonna go to the the opera, right? Yeah, and yeah, and she's then like, guys, like it's the first the time yeah. I've ever been, and, and it's it's not gonna be the first time she's ever been because she leaves straight away. Yeah, as soon because as they see um his parents and they insult her. Yeah, they she runs off. 
and she runs off back to her trapeze act. Or yeah, and he catches up with her like pretty, pretty damn quick. Yeah, I'm pretty sure trapeze takes years to master, but okay. Yeah, no, it's not even that. Like they run back to the um, oh yeah to the circus. Like it's she's like had enough time to get changed and get ready to train. There's no like sense of like geography or spatial awareness in this movie whatsoever. It doesn't matter though because we're now we're at the next song. This isn't yeah. I was gonna say, but it, we're we're in New York. We're, we're in New York, I'm pretty sure. It's like, I'm pretty sure even Manhattan, even in what, 1880, 1880s, 1890s, whenever this takes place, it was much larger than this. And it's like the Barnum Circus is across the street from everywhere. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's 100%. stationed at five points. <laughs> well, it's a traveling circus. Don't they end up doing a tour at one point? Uh, no, I, I think that, that, that's no, only no. with Jenny Lind, yeah. I think. Yeah, and okay. Zach Efron's uh, like running the show. Yeah, okay. And I think this is what's happening because I think Barnum's still on tour with Jenny Lind because we've just completely forgotten about that thread. Yeah, we, are we don't so really far give a shit because we're at our next song, which is a love song between Zach Efron and Zendaya. It's called Rewrite the Stars. Yep. I'm fairly this certain. is the most like one of those Smash songs because there's a song yeah. called Rewrite the Story from Smash, and I had a quick listen to it before coming in. It sounds almost exactly like it. Yeah, well, you know, this film has never put in any effort anywhere else. Why put it in when you're writing your songs? True. As painful as it is to say bad things about the people that gave me the songs from La La Land, I will, you know. They did this. They're yeah. What? They're one from however many. Yeah, well, let's one just hope that's like 10 up. You've got yeah. like points to take you down. So. Well, let's just yeah, hope this they takes you do down a couple of points. Another yeah, greatest showman, you know. Um, but yeah, no, this song is cute. But again, the sequence is god awful because they're like flinging themselves on these trapezes like all around. Mm. If you were going to be singing in that anyway, I would be incredibly out of breath even if I was a seasoned trapeze artist. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I would be too, like, if I was Zac Efron too, I'd be, like, shitting myself thinking I'm going to mm. get dropped. But it doesn't matter because he's <laughs> singing about how he's in love. Mm. Which, yeah, and then it ends with her pretty much, like, she, in the space of this, like, three-minute song, goes from how can we ever be together, everything's keeping us apart, I'm not the one that you're meant to be, you know, looking for. Then after that chorus... In the bridge, she's let's singing, get married. like, let's do this together. No one can tell us what we're going to be. And then they get down the ground, she's changed her mind again, says, I can't do this, and walks are away. Are you sure there might not have been two songs that were merged into the one they didn't realise it? When they wrote the song, they're like, shit. Like this is, in, co- this is a deliberate ideas. duet, you can yep. definitely tell. Yep. 100%. And it's... Mm. Like, of the three main songs I keep hearing from this yeah. movie that on the radio, it's the one that makes me want to gouge my eyes out the this, this is This is the one that they've made specifically for couples to sing on karaoke nights, I think. But that, that's the thing, too. Like, there's a few high notes in here. This is not an accessible song for no. your average moviegoer. Maybe drunken karaoke. <laughs> the only way to enjoy this soundtrack mm. is to be drunk. Exactly. Um... Is the fire here or this is... No, I think Barnum's still on tour with... Um, uh, what, no, 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 this is where um, I think now Michelle Williams is feeling really neglected. And yes, oh, yeah. no, and he, he her leaves song her. comes, yeah. And Michelle Williams has a song in here now, which I'm like, you knew okay. Michelle Williams could sing. I knew she could. I know she has a theatre background, but I was like, this song is just nothing. And like, she's just completely shortchanged in this film. Yeah. She's got... like. In, in the space of two years, it's like, Michelle Williams, what are you doing here? Greatest Showman and Venom. I mean, at least she doesn't have to be in a CGI symbiote and make out with Tom Hardy in this movie. You sound yeah. like that's a problem, though. Oh, that's one of the best parts of that film. <laughs> I would definitely not be complaining. Um, but yeah, no, her song is pretty much just 
a nothing song. Mm-hmm. Does anyone remember what this song it's called was? Tightrope. I Apa- know that. Yeah, that apart from the apart from the name, do you remember anything about this song at all? Nope. No. Nope. I can remember her dancing in an empty house. Oh yeah, that mansion. Th- mm, she's da- she's dancing with like a silhouette of Peter. Uh, not the, I was going to say oh, Peter oh, Jackson for some reason. Jackman. Hugh Jackman. So essentially, it's a forgettable song. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, she did never really got any attention beforehand, so no. why should we give a shit now? <laughs> exactly. I mean, she just starts singing. It's like, oh, okay. It was Another song. <laughs> it was at this point during my second watch that I was on my couch just wanting to, you know, completely die. And my dad was like, are you still watching this? I'm like, yeah, I keep pausing it. I can't take this much. <laughs> the things I do for you, Sean. Yeah, well, I, I am thankful. Yeah. I am thankful, but... You never have to watch it ever again. Yeah, just th- thank God. I, s- I swear you two must be masochists if, if you're just writhing in pain so much just watching The Greatest Show. It's worth it I to talk shit about it. I kept pause. I've, t- I've said this before and I tweeted it after I finished watching it. It took me four hours to re-watch this because I had to, one, pause to take notes and two, because I was just like, I can't deal with this right now. Paused it and took breaks. Look, Sean, if all you... If it's if too if much I was that annoyed, I'd be like, yeah, not finishing it rather watch something decent but i'm committed to torch myself i am committed to the podcast the pettiness jumped out you're you're committed to the uh the crowd that will laugh at you exactly (laughs) you you got it exactly the show must go on as pt barnum would say yes um so at this point i think jenny lynn kind of makes a move on pt barnum yeah yeah? it's like but it's like the it's like she's finishing her run with barnum like she's about to you know Mm. Go go off and like go back to Europe and whatever, and she kisses him, and it is the front page of every single newspaper. What of everywhere? Yeah, I mean they're taking photos yet they're like drawn on in the newspaper yeah. as well. Yeah, that was really weird. That was if dumb. they were if they had able to take pictures. Like yeah, and my question is, how on earth did she get through an entire set if she was like cry singing? Because she reprises her song oh from yeah. before that is an absolute like belter. And here she is, like, reprising it in this small, like, slightly teary voice. Yeah. Did she get through the entire well, show Well, it's, not, like it's not Rebecca Ferguson, clearly. But no, it's not <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson at all. But, but if, I was, act- if I was a concert goer there and I'm watching this, I'm like, is someone going to, like, do anything? Credit to Rebecca Ferguson. Like, I'm reading on the IMDb trivia, she actually did, like, belt out this song, like, on the set. And apparently it was actually wasn't too bad, but they still decided to dub her anyway. I don't think we can say the same for Rami Malek doing Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, I know that, you, I know <laughs> that you haven't seen this. I know that you haven't seen this movie, but you can tell a genuine difference between just lip-syncing something and singing something. Sasha Baron Cohen would have sung. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was funny, Bohemian Rhapsody. That had a... You, you gotta watch it for the. the Wait, you've seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. Oh, I saw it in cinemas. I actually paid money to watch it. Yeah, me too. Speaking <laughs> of which, did anybody pay money to see this in th- cinemas? The Greatest Showman. Yeah, no. I wish I paid money. Okay, I'm the outlier here. Then <laughs> I I saw this on my twentieth fucking birthday and it's it's hated a tw- it's life. twenty. It's a nothing year. It's okay. <laughs> well, did you, how much did you pay? Oh, oh God, I think. Jeez, I, I can't even remember. I think I might actually have still have the tickets. I'll get back to you on okay, that. Okay, see, at least, like, I went to an advanced screening of Bohemian Rhapsody and I had, like, a discounted ticket. So it was 11 bucks. That's enough. I would never pay any more. Oh, well, I went with some family and friends, so it was all good. We all had a jolly good time. Just uh. watching this terrible... Oh, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it was just There was a guy next to me that was full on crying at the end. Oh, oh. The, come on. The last scene yeah, isn't that you bad. You see the Queen fans at the film. They're just like, yeah. oh, uh, yeah. Oh, the, the, the sing-alongs are going to be so obnoxious. I don't understand how there's going to be a sing-along when half of the songs 
get cut. Like Bohemian Rhapsody is not once performed the, the full in, six minutes beginning to end. Entirety, really? Yeah. No, not no. at all. You only get segments, oh and I think the segments that they do play, they just keep repeating because yeah. they're popular segments. There, from the, there is a full, the song yeah, there is like the a bar at the very end, like whenever the song is finishing, that they also cut out for whatever reason. Mm. Like, play the song. It's so disrespectful. This is not the film we're talking about. I'm sorry. I mean, what's what's the better film? I mean, both put Bohemian out like 20th Rhapsody century. Is I'd rather watch Bohemian Rhapsody because yeah. it's. It, I mean, it's actually got more narrative, and I'd say Malik's is all right as. Uh, all um, right, is yeah. yeah. The he's fake he's teeth are a bit much, yeah, though. But I think. But just from funny, the trailer, it's funny to look at though. Yeah. Whenever it's he smiles, because yeah, they're pretty ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. If you've ever watched teeth. an episode of Glee before, and you know how there's like those cuts back to like the other characters' reactions as someone else is performing, you'll know how Bohemian Rhapsody is to watch. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know if I could say that about the CG crowd. I could barely distinguish it. Oh my god, human it's in there. so funny! It's hilarious. That's that's why I like uh, the ending because they they're, they're doing that uh, performance they did live at the, aid, the live aid, and oh, just they're just performing in front of a green screen. It's just this ocean of just poorly rendered pe- looking did people. Did you did you see the um? There was an Instagram ad for like Bohemian Rhapsody, like now on digital, and it was like this sta- like someone's um, Instagram story hadn't buffered correctly. And it's just just looks like Sims. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> yeah, no, like it, 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 it just uh. like the crowd just looks like it's in a low resolution to everything else. Not like a like a camera, like they're out of focus. Like genuinely, they didn't render them properly and they yeah. look blurry. Uh. Although at that point, I don't think anyone gave a shit by the end of this film. No, besides the people that were huge like uh, queen stands or something. I mean, people involved in making this film didn't give a shit by that point, I no. don't think. They were probably already hitting the bar when they were making that segment. Yeah. But you know what? I would rather watch a Sim Sim version of The Greatest Sim Showman. Sim City movie? I would, no, I would rather watch The Sims do The Greatest Showman than the watch The Greatest would just Showman be like ever <laughs> again. <laughs> that would be more entertaining. I'm not even kidding you. Um, Speaking of Sims and Bohemian Rhapsody, I bet everybody would just love to get Brian Singer and just trap him in a in a room with no windows and doors and just let him su- just let him suffocate to <laughs> you death. You know what? I'm on a timed parking spot at the moment. We do not have enough time <laughs> in this podcast to talk about how much I hate Brian Singer, let alone how much time we need okay, to talk about. Okay, fuck that guy. Yeah, the greatest showman. So this is a bo- roundabout where a fight breaks out between the circus freaks and the um and the the hateful general public. Yeah, the said comical fighting that turns into a fire that, then for whatever reason, Zac Efron is like the buffest guy there and mm. the most physically able yet gets stuck in the fire when he goes back to find someone else. Yeah. Oh, he goes in He goes in to find someone. Zendaya. Yeah, and Zendaya. She and runs out. She anyway. runs out. And, it's like, and because we have to show how much of a saint P.T. Barnum yeah. is, he runs into the burning building and to save Zac Efron. And his children are yelling, daddy, 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 over yeah. and over. And the movie, like, for a brief moment, you know, again, insulting your intelligence, makes you think, tries to make you think for even a millisecond that P.T. Barnum is dead, which I was that praying was so for. Can you imagine if that had actually happened, though? Everyone would have been like, oh, shit. I would have loved that because it would have been hilarious if he just died. It's like, oh, shit, we've got no, 20 minutes he, left. What are we going to do? This is a game changer. He, he just <laughs> runs out and it's, it's just a skeleton. He just looks like uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru after, the <laughs> after they've just been, like, scorched in Star Wars. I would love that. But we don't get that. and um, We get him safe and without a scratch. Safe yeah, and without a scratch. Zac Did you even just go into a fire... 
No. No. I mean, of course like, everyone not. was only in there for like a minute longer and he's just, he just all stern. Yeah, and he's like yeah. truly fucked up. And Z- Zendaya is right by her bed, like, which it looks like the hospital at Hogwarts. It does, <laughs> doesn't it? It does. I, th- I thought Zendaya was going to hand um, Zac Efron a bottle of pumpkin juice for a moment, but that doesn't happen. But this is when Hugh Jackman, his life is starting to fall apart. Like uh, Michelle Williams goes back and lives with her father and takes the chi- children with her. And I think the um, the house is being the big palatial estates being foreclosed upon. Mm-hmm. He he goes and um, uh, commiserates at the burnt site of his um, uh, of his circus. And we forgot to mention about the critic, the critic character in this movie. That is, I feel like the critic would be me if I was a complete caricature of myself, just hating yep. on everything, but with, you know, proper justification. They just I don't they, see... Yeah, they I treat him s- as a straw man. That yeah, I don't see how mm. he's a villain when he's just got a differing opinion. Yeah. Yep. I don't know, it's bizarre, because they, they do this weird, like, consolation at the end of the film uh, where the critic says, like, oh, I never liked your work, but, you know, you, you did give people happiness or something. And then P.T. Barnum says something really, really cheesy where he's like, oh, the r- true art... No, there's a quote at the end of the movie. It's like the true heart is giving yep. people joy. I think this <laughs> is what <laughs> truly triggered Sean. This is what ticked me off because rewatching this film, I was actually kind of surprised. I'm like, yeah, this is bad. Like, this is r- a really bad film, but I don't think it's not as offensively bad as I thought it was on my first viewing. But this line that the critic says is what made me complete 180 back to fuck this movie, like just burn it in hell, kill it with fire. It's when the critic says, "Yeah, I didn't like your show." But you displayed everybody on stage as if they were oh. equal, <laughs> and it was a true celebration of humanity. And I just wanted yeah. to close my laptop and throw it out the window onto the train tracks because, jeez. Even just hearing that, I want to yell out one of these windows right now. Yep, it's no, it it's reprehensible. Like I, I hate it so much. Like I'm I'm trying to hold back anger. Like there's a searing white hot rage that just fills me yeah right you want to at least be able to it. say more than just i hate this film but it's really it's, really it's hard really hard it, it just goes against everything like that this it, it just sums up everything that this film thinks it is and yep. everything that it is not it's like the final nail in the coffin or the final hammer to the head <laughs> yep and yeah so at this point michelle williams leaves barnum as i've said in my notes smart move Lind, um, <laughs> yeah, Lind cancelled her tour, which is why his mansion gets closed because he's got That's no money right, coming in. No money. So he goes. He goes and reminisces uh, again, commiserating now at a bar where mm. does oh Zac Efron work, walk in? No. Zac Efron walks in first, or is it just Kiala? No, it's Tom it's Thumb that walks Tom in Thumb, first. Tom Thumb, that's right. On the bar, no less. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you well, see, you like, you see, like the. We, we got to have short people. We got to like have. We yeah. gotta have the novelty of a short person in here. We I mean, use it, it's not—it's not like we're in. actually trying to celebrate this person, you know, just demean him and like make fun of yeah, him. Yeah, well, like you see the door open, like I think it's meant to be played for a laugh that he has to climb onto the bar to talk to him. But yeah, I, was just I don't know. It was strange. At this point, I just wanted to die. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I think this is—I mean, we've said this a lot, but I think this is the worst song in the whole film. This is from now on. Yeah, we should have definitively like ranked how bad these films are. But I think what makes this one worse is the fact that they all go into this bar super crappy with him because he's treated them like dirt. They're pretty much like, you know, it looks like it's all curtains for all of them. And then he Mm. gives his, you know, saves the day speech and somehow wins their favour back. 
Mm. No, they they go in demanding them, like demanding him to s- revitalize the yeah, show. It, they like do. They, they, yeah, no, that's I'm what not, makes no, it I'm even kidding. worse. That's why I mentioned it earlier. That's why it's like so weird because he's like, I don't know, is that the stage where he's just drinking himself to? Um, oh, why are you going in, in and doing that? Yeah, they they, they go in and they're like. Like they're like you know you're the guy that just you know gave us work you're the guy that uh, taught us self respect or some something along those lines and I was like what <laughs> like before they were like demonizing him just because they realized that he was exploiting them but and they said like we need you back so the troop like we can revitalize the circus the film never demonize like it, it shows that he's a bit of a prick but it yeah, never nah, fully goes it doesn't and demonize him, him at all but, um, as Barnum but, the, should be. but they yeah but the the troop for that point in time because I sing a song like in a uh, response to it like saw him as like oh well he's been a dick to us and you, you would have mm. thought that they just wouldn't have liked him from that point because he doesn't do anything to sort of like mend the relationship he's too busy touring with um the sw- the, with, the sw- with the Swiss singer mm. and other stuff like that like you just you don't see Barnum come back to the troupe for a long time it's just Efron just you don't yeah things. and then yeah. they just come back after so long they're like we need you back, buddy. You know, we need to re- re- revitalize the show and have fun again. Maybe this if he had treated nowhere. them nice at one point in this film, I would understand them maybe, yeah. you know, wanting him back. But I mean, maybe they just need to get paid. That's why I said, like, if they did, if they had something where he tried to mend the relationship earlier, it could make sense. It still would have been really cheap, but it wouldn't have been as nonsense. Because it's just absolutely nonsense. Like, the that's greatest that's showman is nonsense? You I mean, lie, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like it because it's nonsense. I don't have to think about it too much. I can just uh, mindlessly enjoy it. There are so many better films that you can mindlessly enjoy. Mm, I wouldn't disagree with you. But this is where, like, Hugh Jackman is so inspired by this song that they've been that, that his um his circus freaks have sung to him. So he bolts out the door and goes to try and win back Michelle Williams' heart. This is where he jumps on the Polar Express to get there. And um, <laughs> and but this is what is annoying. This whole film is centered, and what it, at the end of the day it boils down to, he does he's not accepted by his father-in-law, and that's literally like the be all and end all of this film is that he wants to try and get his father-in-law's acceptance, and that is incredibly shallow. Yeah, that's although very problematic considering that he was like you know sticking the bird up to him earlier in the film, yeah. like. Like saying, "Oh well, you're a you know you're a dick, and look at look at how successful I am. I came from rags to riches, and you were just a prick and whatnot." Yeah, I mean, for a film about celebrating difference and uh, that thinks that celebrating difference, it's all about trying to impress the one percent. Yeah, yeah, appeasing a white man. Yeah, well, he he was this weird dreamer that was like. I mean, I mentioned earlier, he even said when they were well off, like probably in bourgeoisie class, he said, "Oh, we don't have enough money. We we need more money because we need to buy the mansion." So, I mean, his, mm. his greed has no end. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then, so he wins back Michelle Williams' heart. I think they're still, sing- I think they're still singing from now on. And they're, they're back at the, at the burnt-out husk of the circus. And they're like, yeah, we don't have enough money to rebuild this. And it's like, well, I think we only need a tent. Smash cut to The Greatest Showman <laughs> on tour and we get the reprise of The Greatest Show. And we get those bloody um, elephants, don't we? Oh, yeah, how big is this tent? Yeah, uh, uh, who knows? Like, how are they not trampled to death? They're, like, running with these animals. I want to see a scene where... I want to see the scene where Hugh, Jack- uh, Hugh Jackman is trying to train these elephants, these lions as well. Yeah, there are lions and they're, like, perfectly in sync. Yeah, but well, it's because it's it's the same piece of CGI just mirrored <laughs> on the other yeah. side. That's why. Didn't he have elephants earlier in the film? I remember he had live elephants. They're just in the background. Yeah, like they weren't they weren't front and center, and he no, didn't I, ride I any know. of them out in the snow. 
Oh, no, yeah, yeah he did ride an elephant out to because, his, his wife. Because, yeah, what happens, <laughs> it's the big final reprise of The Greatest Show. Hugh mm. Jackman hands his cane and top hat over to Zac Efron and says, it's your show now, pats him on the shoulder, runs out, and then we see it's, again, because the daughter's ballet recital is so important to this film, we get to see Michelle Williams and the kids are waiting outside, I guess, the theatre, waiting for Hugh Jackman to come. And he rocks up riding an elephant through the streets of New York. Where did he park that elephant? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe with the horses. How, how many horses did it trample on the way there? How many horses? Um, uh, how many horses painted like zebras did it trample? I'm yeah. just surprised that someone just didn't grab a gun and shoot the thing. To be I mean, honest. maybe that's probably in like the hard R cut that we didn't see. Oh, a, a hard R cut of the greatest. Can you showman. imagine a hard R cut of the greatest showman? They oh. generally killed an elephant. That wasn't. They, it, they it just CGI the elephant. There's a lot more child time. abuse. I can guarantee it that. Yeah. Hopefully, there's hopefully there's more of Hugh Jackman getting attacked by lions. Is That'd be awesome. Is this a US PG as well? Yes, yes, it is. I would have loved yeah. to see like a Hugh Jackman like this film just be like that film Raw, where the where the, pe- the actors are getting attacked by lions and stuff. <laughs> I would pay money to see that. <laughs> Hugh Jackman's Raw? like missing. It was like called Raw or something. I thought you meant the cannibal French film no, for no, no, two not, seconds. Not Raw as in Raw. Meat. As in like Raw, Raw as, as in like, like as in round. Yeah. <laughs> Jack with losing fingers because he gets getting attacked by lions. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be a much better film. So then we see a slow motion ballet of this girl. She's finally learned how to do ballet, guys. It's magical. It's I blissful. I don't know if she was uh, doing ballet. I think she was a tree or something. Oh, the, 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 what, yeah. the sister that doesn't dance was a tree. The sister that doesn't oh. dance was a tree. What a bloody <laughs> because short she never straw, honestly. <laughs> well, she didn't get her, her wish to marry Santa Claus didn't come true, so the next best thing is she gets well, to be a Well, she's still underage, so we never know. Maybe that's what the sequel is about. Oh, I'd, pay, I'd watch that. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. So we have, a, we have a reprise of The Greatest Show again, and right? And no, he's sing- he's like very softly singing the last lines in the seats of the theater with Michelle mm. Williams like head on his shoulder. It's like it's everything you ever want. I genuinely <laughs> could not hear what he was saying yeah. in that scene. And at I just all. be like, I, I just wanted someone like the guy behind him to just go, "Shh, buddy, my daughter's up there. Shut oh the God, fuck please. up." <laughs> that would be awesome if that's how the Greatest Showman ended. <laughs> but it's not because this film has the balls to end with the quote, <clears throat> "The noblest art." is that of making people happy. Quote, Phineas Taylor Barnum. Is that meant to be like a mission statement for this film? Because I don't think they got it right at all. Not at all. It's, no. it's bullshit is what it is. It's a lovely like, oh, what a lovely way to end our film. They're just, they're just assuming that making the people happy. is dumb enough. If you say that this film was supposed to make you happy, that they'll be like, oh, me suffering for nearly two hours. No, no, I feel happy now. Ma- making people happy is the noblest art. It doesn't matter how many people you whip or abuse to get there. Yeah. <laughs> I feel really bad too because there's quite a few people in my life that I'm close with and whose opinions I care about who actually love this film. Yikes. Yeah, yikes. <laughs> and I just need to like hold my tongue whenever it comes up. So it's been really great to, you know, just spew it all out here with you guys. Yeah, so then we get, again, the credits are a prize of This Is Me. There's no post... No one checked to see if there's a post-credit scene in this, did they? <laughs> Who Please, cares? I, as soon as it, like, cut to black, off. Immediately off. off <laughs> screaming and heading to bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So did you see the quote at the end, though, or not? No, I saw the quote oh. at the end, but, yeah, em- anything after that is lost on me. Yeah. Mm. I thought you said "What if Pharrell" for like two seconds, and I'm like, "Can you imagine Pharrell writing the songs for this film?" Uh, I think that I kind of think that would be worse. 
Yeah. Have you heard the songs he did for Spider-Man 2? Oh, my God. Amazing Spider-Man 2? That is the funniest score I've heard in years. Yeah. Oh, I I can't remember it. Lucky you. (laughs) Lucky you is all I will say. I must have amnesia. I just... Or some, I just can't generate um, memories. I, can't, I couldn't even remember you, the film I watched two, two just, days ago. Just imagine Hans Zimmer falling asleep at his keyboard and Pharrell Williams taking over. Yeah, that's, that's what that 100% movie is. what I was about to say. That is nuts. <laughs> 100%. There is no way that Hans Zimmer had any creative control over that whatsoever. Mm. At all. No, no way. They just wanted that name. Yeah. All right. And that's the greatest showman. We did it. We did we it. We survived that, and we did it. We did it actually shorter than the film. Runs. Itself, really? Wow. Which I'm shocked for considering how long we took to get through the A Million but Dreams there's sequence. there's no story though. It's yeah. easy to mm. breeze through. There is nothing here. <laughs> yeah. You're just really talking about the songs and other like little bits that stick out because it's just a something with it's a film with no substance really in, as we mentioned right. just for yeah. the show. Has there been any film that's come close to being something that you've disliked this much in recent years? Because this is my, my stinker for... A very long time. I mean, I in my worst of 2017 list, I still had two films that were above this. And what, what were they? That was Bright and Justice League. Okay, no, that's definitely fair enough. I, I mean, I think they're all bad. I just kind of hate those ones a little bit more. Mm. I mean, that's the thing, like... I mean, I saw Justice League. I didn't like it, but I didn't expect it to be good either. So it's Yeah, I had a genuine romp with Justice League because I knew it was going to be shit. Like these films, these films, I wouldn't even say they're like some of the worst films I've ever seen or anything like that. They're just in this weird mediating like level of just forgettable shit. Mm. I just I wouldn't want to waste the breath on talking about. To yeah. be honest, I mean, part of this movie kind. I mean, it's a very very minuscule like microscopic part of me that respects this movie for just not giving a shit and yeah. just going all <laughs> out. And I mean, it's bad. It's awful. But it just it is such a colossal failure on almost every level, uh, level that it's kind of impressive. But it's also surprisingly boring too. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you expected a joyless, terrible film to not be boring, I'd be surprised. So yeah. I'm guessing, what are your final thoughts on this, guys? Because th- this is an atrocious film for me. I hate it with every inch of my being. <laughs> it is an emotionally manipulative piece of glittered dog shit, and I hope it burns in hell. <laughs> Well, my most like tweet is about The Greatest Showman being the worst film of all time, so I think you guys really know how I feel. I yep. don't have anything to add. Yep. See, see the previous ninety minutes as well, too. <laughs> to yeah. If you guys didn't realize by this point, we don't like The Greatest Showman like at no. all. No, Ashley and I have bonded over our hatred for this film. Yeah, genuinely. Well, like I mean, whoever's been listening to this point, wondering what our opinions on the film uh, were, probably enjoyed the film too much. If you're still waiting for us to say that we like The Greatest Showman, stop listening, please. Yeah. It's don't not don't hold happen. your breath. I'll say it. I enjoyed The Greatest Showman. Fuck <laughs> you. Is there a gun to your head right now? Uh, I think I see no. a red dot on Eric that. right now, actually. Yeah, a red oh, dot. I was, I was actually we had this building surrounded with expecting me to say that than one of you to kill me. Blink <laughs> twice if you're in like a get out situation. Uh, is that twice? <laughs> We'll never know. No. That's up. <laughs> Tune in next week on Film Fiasco to see whether Eric is dead or not, I guess. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's The Greatest Showman. Don't, for the love of God, please don't watch this. Just, I- even, don't even listen to the soundtrack on Spotify. Like, there are, more, there are more deserving artists that deserve your quarter of a cent for, you know, watching it, for playing and it on Spotify. Yeah, if you can't escape this soundtrack, 
un- like like me at work. Yeah, just if, if you work in retail, like this is all you hear. No, I'm <laughs> suffering with you somewhere. Uh, and thank you very much, for Ashley, for coming into this, uh, I guess, podcast. But I think this is more of a group therapy session, though. Yeah, it's been like some pretty good catharsis, i got to say. If you've got any other films that you need me to yell about, please like hit me up. Yeah, we would love to have you back on. And uh, But if people want to see more from you, where can they find you? Um, they can read my reviews at maketheswitch.com.au. Um, should be a couple of things coming out recently. I only just published my first article there last night. Had a pretty good yes. feedback on that. On so the film Arctic, I believe, with Mads yes, Mikkelsen. Not yes. to be confused with the film Polar by Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, go and see Arctic instead of Polar. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I watched the screener last night. Uh, it was fantastic. I really loved it. My review will actually be up probably by the time this episode airs as well. But Twitter, Instagram, any of that stuff you want to share? No, you guys can pretty much find me anywhere. I'm very active all the time. So if you haven't already seen me, then you clearly are living under a rock. Awesome. Eric ha- al- al- never has anything to plug. No, I mean, because I just have that one e- Eric is a Luddite. I don't really do anything with. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, they, they could just listen to a. I believe it's episode. Mondo Man or something. Yeah, it's Mondo Man at the moment. All right. I love yeah. those Mondo documentaries. All right. Yeah, I'll have everybody's links and stuff uh, link, uh, put in the show notes of this episode. Sean, you should just like record you putting all your plugs and just stick that at the end of every episode. I feel I like should. you're really exasperated at this point, having spoken <laughs> about this film. You don't have the energy to plug yourself anymore. I need, I need to bring, I need positive. I need to end on a positive note. I need to, you know, get a little bit of enjoyment and like, you know, excitement and be like, hey, this was uh, actually, you know, maybe the sequel will be better <laughs> if it ever comes to be. I mean, it, it's kind of fitting for a final act of desperation because that's really all this film is. Like, Fox mm. will throw money at it. It's 100% going to happen. Oh, Look, yeah. It made half a billion, definitely. It made half a billion. It will happen. Yeah, Hopefully, it's not going to be in our lifetime, but it will happen. What will? The sequel. Uh, I, I might be expecting but 20 what can more you do? films. You know what? I don't even think there's like a hopeful way to, for us to spin this sequel. We know no. what the first film was like. There is nothing that can ever redeem it. All right, we're, we're going to leave you on a very uh, sour note of unbridled cynicism and cynicism and just like despair. Sounds like you're talking to my parents every day. <laughs> just we're just going to end this on a real bad note. Is like, hey, a greatest showman sequel is coming, guys. Beware. Just be wary. I'm Beware. excited. Let's make it tank. Excited to hate it. No, I'm I mean, excited to see what they want. If we get to talk about it with you guys again, then that's fine. <laughs> that is, that will be fine. But I will just say, I'll, I'll put, I'll keep all the plugs in the show notes. So look for them there. But if you have any suggestions that you'd want er- Eric and I, or even Ashley, if she wants to come back on the show to do here on Film Fiasco, email us your suggestions at anotherbodymoviepodcast at gmail.com to send us any requests. Uh, we have not received any yet, so please send us in some because Eric and I have no idea what we're going to be doing for our next episode. Trust me, I could find something for you guys to talk about very easily. Ooh, I mean, like we what would you have in mind? One. You know what it would be really interesting to do? I think it would be really interesting to compare two very similar films in tone and story and discuss which one's better. Oh, okay. Any any ideas? Like, do you reckon we could do something like one of those films that, like, the copycat films? We could do a series on the copycat films of, like, you know, films that were made, like, the same year and that have a very, very similar. similar like your White House Downs and Olympus Has Fallen's and your Armageddon's and Deep Impacts. Like Friends with Benefits like and no, fr- um, no Strings Attached. Yes, exactly. That's I actually mean, a fantastic idea. I love idea. how, like, Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis are together and they and are And they were in the competing in films? Yeah. <laughs> 
And I mean, I'll always were, get the two of them confused. There were like three Snow White films made in one year. Oh, one of them was right. uh, in Spanish. Mira, Mira. Mira and Snow White and the Huntsman. Did anyone watch the Spanish one? No. no. Well, that one was pretty good. It was yeah. made like a silent film. Oh, food for thought. Mm, fantastic. Thank you very much for Eric and Ashley for coming back on for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. No yes. problem. I didn't suffer too much. <laughs> <laughs> we did though. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah, did. I can tell. G'day guys. Thank you very much for listening in to this very special episode of another Bloody Movie Podcast presents Film Fiasco on that wretched film, The Greatest Showman. I mean, even just listening back to the episode and thinking about it after the recording, it's just, the film would have been fine had they used a fictional character. They could have kept everything, like the songs, the plot points, and they could still have this inspirational and uplifting message about celebrating difference. Do that all with a fictional character, it would have been fine. I mean, the movie still would have been The Greatest Showman, it would have been crap, but the fact that they used P.T. Barnum, a known horrible person that was an incredibly abusive and exploitative piece of crap and making a musical film that glorifies him is one of the most bizarre and wrong-headed decisions I have seen in a Hollywood blockbuster ever. And it just makes the film so much more toxic, just so much more evil, abhorrent and just sinister. I mean, I will never understand how this movie was so successful, but you know what? I don't need to wonder that anymore because we've covered it on Film Fiasco and I never have to discuss it, talk about it, think about it or watch it ever again. And a big thanks to Eric Tischer, of course, because he's basically the co-host of this show now and the lovely Ashley Matthews for coming on. Please go to maketheswitch.com.au and read her written stuff. At the moment, she has reviews for Arctic, the Sisters Brothers, which I'm about to head off to a press screening for, and the new Liam Neeson film, Cold Pursuit. So go over to maketheswitch.com.au and go read them. And if you enjoyed Ashley's appearance on this podcast or just the podcast in general, why don't you go subscribe to us? We're on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast fix on any third-party podcast app. Just search for Another Bloody Movie Podcast and hit that subscribe button. As for social media, you can like us on Facebook, Another Bloody Movie Podcast. We're at 92 likes at the moment. Please get us to 100. You can follow us on Twitter at AB Movie Podcast and on Instagram at Another Bloody Movie Pod. As for my personal Instagram and Twitter and all those social media stuff, I am at Sean Hub underscore, that is S-E-A-N-H-U-B underscore on both Twitter and Instagram. You can read my full written reviews over at moviebabblereviews.com. As I said at the end of the last episode, I too have a written review for the Mads Mikkelsen film Arctic up on Movie Babble Reviews right now. So what you can do, you can go read my review of Arctic and you can go read Ashley's review of Arctic over on maketheswitch.com and see whose review is better if you'd really like to. I mean, at the end, you'll come to the same conclusion that Arctic's a great movie and that you should go see it. But you know what? Let us know whose review was better, I guess. And if you want to get in contact with the show or give us a request or a recommendation for a film that you want us to cover on this film fiasco segment of Another Bloody Movie Podcast, you can email us, anotherbloodymoviepod at gmail.com. Thanks once again for listening, guys. Stick around. I've got some really cool stuff planned in future so make sure you're subscribed and everything stay up to date and we will see you later bye bye